Welcome to Voices of Care. In this episode, I'm speaking to Karen Bonner, Chief Nurse at Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust. We'll be discussing the provision and promise of the NHS long-term workforce plan and the thorny issue of how to create a truly inclusive culture. I've been in NHS a long time, as you mentioned, and I've never quite seen uh, this many com- uh, competing things going on at the same time. We welcome this new strategy along with the new f- flow of money that will help to support that as well. I think it's a recognition that we need to invest more in the resources and our people are fundamentally the most valuable resource and therefore it's important that that is acknowledged. This is a societal issue, this goes beyond the NHS and I think it's important for us to recognise that. So something about how we look after the people but also the public themselves, how they treat our staff is fundamentally something we do not talk enough about Mm. and that in itself has the impact on the the, the individual's report about how they're feeling as well. So, you know, they're not always treated with kindness by the public either and discrimination happens from the public as well as within the, you know, sort of uh, within the people that we actually employ. Hello, I'm Sahel Mirza and welcome to this episode in Season 2 of Voices of Care. I'm joined today by Karen Bonner, the Chief Nurse at Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust. The Voice of Care podcast seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care sector and by talking to leaders about how we can enable the healthcare workforce of the future. It's been a seminal year for the NHS with the publication of the NHS Long-Term Workforce Plan. We're here to talk about its promise and the challenges it may face and how we can transform workforce, in particular nursing. Who better to talk to about that than my guest today? And Karen, welcome. Thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's my my pleasure. Before we get into some of the detail of the conversation, I thought we'd take this chance to hear a little bit about your role uh, at Buckingham. I know you've had an illustrious career, very <laughs> celebrated, all of the leading uh, London NHS Trust. But Buckinghamshire is your, your focus at the moment. Um, and there's a strategy there. And it's, of course, renowned for its uh, world-famous Stoke Mandeville Hospital. But, of course, it's a, a broad range of services in the community as well. Well. Yeah, indeed. So thank you. Um, so Buckinghamshire Healthcare, I've been there for just over three years. I had the pleasure of starting there on the 30th of March 2020. Perfect timing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I'd go big. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, Buckinghamshire is a, is a integrated acute and community organisation. It's spread over the whole of the county and it's actually quite a long county and therefore we service people from across the county. It is actually quite, has pockets of real affluence but also has pockets of deprivation so we have um, community services so going into people's homes but we also have community hospitals and then we also service the emergency services as well um, and our accident emergency which is based at Stoke Mandeville Hospital and then we've got Wickham and they're the sort of two main hospital sites as well so yeah it's a very um, large and complex organisation but we are fortunate that we are able to also uh, provide care across a complete pathway into people's homes. And there's quite a lot of transformation because your strategy has laid out the fact that, of course, like many places, you're seeing a dramatic rise in the absolute number of the population, but also in particular in that cohort of uh, people who are 85 plus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a population, ageing population, and we are, and there are new houses also being built in the area. So it is a growing area. Sometimes people will move outside of London to live in Buckinghamshire, but they often go back to work in London. Um, but yes, it's a, it's an ageing population. So we do focus a lot, particularly around our frailty services and obviously our community hospitals 
hospitals and services for those older people. Well, the, you, you cover the whole community and obviously the, the direction of travel, uh, as you know, of course, in policy is now to move more and more services within the community. Um, and we need the workforce to be able to deliver that. So I want to touch upon the fact that obviously if anyone looks at the press, um, there's been a tremendous challenge. The 7.5 million people for elective surgery, 112,000 vacancies, industrial action, mm. um, your longevity and experience, you've seen lots of things come and go in the NHS. How bad have you seen the situation at the moment in terms of the workforce challenges and crisis? Is it, as many of our other guests on the podcast have said, the worst that it's ever been? Well, I think we've just come out of a really difficult three years, and I think we also have to frame the context, and I think we've never known anything like it, so we're recovering from something nobody's ever experienced before. So there are new challenges, and I think where the public sometimes feel we're over the pandemic, we are still very much trying to catch up from that. So it is definitely... I've never been... I've been in NHS a long time, as you mentioned, and I've never quite seen uh, this many com- uh, competing things going on at the same time. So I think we're recovering. Mm. So the waiting lists, on top of the fact that, yes, there is industrial action and on the fact that we are obviously trying to ongoingly transform services and we've got new, um, as you know, new publications around how we should do that. So it's a really difficult and also a new time for us all across the health service and obviously many people are still recovering we're all still trying to recover ourselves as individuals from the last three years no absolutely and it's a seminal year of Mm -hmm. course Uh, 75 years NHS Windrush there's so many things that are worth celebrating and I think uh, the publication of the NHS long-term workforce plan is itself been an act that I think people have uh, welcomed it's seeing uh, projecting a huge demand uh, and how to meet that demand by increasing the workforce dramatically across all uh, sectors. Nursing, we're seeing uh, doubling nearly of training places. Just as a big context, how has it been received? I mean, you, you're a, a nurse leader for many years. Um, it, it's welcoming um, and it paints quite a potentially positive picture over the over the longer term yeah I mean it's I I welcome it on a personal level I think you know we had an interim plan some years ago uh, that didn't come attached with any money and so so we welcome this new strategy along with the new flow of money that will help to support that as well so and there's been a I think generally it's been well received there's always going to be concerns about how we then deliver that and that's the work we've got to do is how do we then make that real? Because it's like any plan, you have to make that real. And I think that we, I think it's a recognition that we need to invest more in the resources. And our people are fundamentally the most valuable resource. And, and therefore, it's important that that is acknowledged. And that does do that. And I think we welcome it. It's now about how we then deliver it. Well, we'll, we'll be touching upon that mm. for the rest of this conversation. But before moving on, um, one of the Uh, goals of the plan, one of the objectives uh, of the plan is to reduce the historical reliance on uh, the international workforce, um, dropping it down from 25% to to 9% over time. Um, I wanted to take the opportunity, because you've worked with many of the clinicians uh, internationally, to perhaps take a stock of the contribution of the international workforce because they face their own unique challenges and yes we have to grow our domestic workforce but um, they played a huge part and continue to play a huge part in the NHS. Yeah I've been quoted a lot to say that the health service is built on its international colleagues and um, you know from the wind rush right through to today we cannot deny that the health service is built on that and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that and it's also important for us to recognise that. Um, I'm I'm a descendant of the Windrush generation, my parents came here as 
as part of the Windrush generation. That generation were the fundamentally um, were key to the building of the health service. And consequently, since, since then, we've continued to recruit from international colleagues from the Philippines, from India, from parts of Africa in, in previous iterations as well. And I think we should acknowledge that they will always fundamentally be in the fabric and the DNA of the of the health service. I don't think anything's going to change that. There are still generations now with other children being born in the UK that have gone on to go into the health service, including myself, who went, my mum worked for the NHS briefly um, at Stoke Mandeville Hospital, actually, as, wow. a, as a support worker. And so there are many of us that will continue that legacy. So whilst it may not be directly internationally recruited, we will always be in the fabric, I think, of the NHS. So any plan... I think it's important for us to acknowledge that as well. But I do think it's important as well for us to grow the homegrown talent. It's very important for us to acknowledge that we do need people from the UK as well working as part of that system. It is, uh, you know, employment rates high. There are opportunities. Uh, We've got many, many vacancies across the health service. So I'd encourage anybody to look at a career in the health service. And I think if we can encourage and support that locally as well, I think that's really important. No, absolutely. And that, that would be fundamental to, to, to growing uh, the numbers. Um, we also have the question of retention. Um, there's a lot of uh, commentary around we, we can't recruit ourselves out of a retention crisis. And I wanted to just touch upon uh, the idea that the plan talks about embedding the right culture. You reference the people plan from mm. 2020, the people promise, all of these type of things. But I want to hone in on um, inclusivity. Um, it's an area where you've been recognised across the healthcare uh, spectrum for your contribution and I know you've been on the strategic advisory board on the res data there, there's a long way to go there's been some great things that have happened but if you look at the numbers from the NHS staff survey we're looking at a very diverse uh, uh, workforce which should be celebrated but one in ten reporting that they face discrimination from their managers and colleagues so it's a lot of work going on that needs to be done. Yeah, I agree. And I think we should acknowledge that whilst we're recruiting people and there are people from diverse communities, including myself, we do need to do more around how we support and get that sense of belonging across the health service. I also recognise that this is a this is a societal issue. This mm. goes beyond the NHS. And I think it's important for us to recognise that. So something about how we look after the people, but also the public themselves, how they treat our staff is fundamentally something we do not talk enough about. Mm. And that in itself has the impact on the, the individual's report about how they're feeling as well. So, you know, they're not always treated with kindness by the public either. And discrimination happens from the public as well as within the, you know, sort of uh, within the people that we actually employ. So I think it's really important. But I think it's really important that it's an individual accountability as well as a collective accountability. And that's where we need to get to to really make the cultural shift that we need to. The sense of real belonging mm. that we are a, a community of people from many backgrounds how we help people to feel that sense of belonging and have you seen good examples of that happening because i'm glad you've highlighted the fact that people usually hone in on the idea of the discrimination faced from colleagues and managers but as you say it this is a big issue you've, you've called it out um, patients themselves unfortunately there's instances of discriminatory behavior have you seen good actions over your time work you've worked at imperial chelsea barts uh, the full gamut some good examples of where actually strides have been taken yeah i mean there's some great examples obviously you've mentioned already that i was part of the workforce race equality standard advisory board for many years and mm. i was privileged to sit on that very early on after not long after its inception really in order to support that sort of advisory piece and what we feel happens really in, in uh, 
working at the front line and, and feeding that into that. So I think there's some great work going on and there are many organisations that are taking some of that work and embedding. So I've seen good practices. You know, when I, uh, my time at Chelsea, we worked very hard to set up their networks and fundamentally build that into the fabric and with executive sponsorship and real holding the board to account to getting the people in the organisation to hold the board to account for some of the experiences that they're having. And I think that's really fundamentally important. There's a new pledge now for uh, all uh, board members to have a, you know, uh, a, a, you know, objective in their part of their work and appraisals around um, equity. And I think that's fundamentally important because that's where you get the individual accountability. At Bucks, we've worked really, really hard. We're working very hard and and we're nowhere near where we uh, need to be. But my um, board has been very committed to make sure that they've got a diversity at the board level. And that's where it really starts. If you start to see the leadership really shifting in its makeup and it's uh, and, and it, it produces people much more innovation because you're thinking differently. We've got people from different backgrounds. You know, I'm sitting on the board and, you know, coming from a different background, different upbringings, really help with that innovation. I think it starts with the board. So places like our organisation are starting to make that shift and change. And you'll start, and what we see is that starting to then shift how the rest of the organisation starts to think about uh, inclusion and their responsibility and their accountability. And we're seeing much more diversity at the senior leadership at below the board level. And then uh, you've got to get right down into organisations as well. So there's lots of good work going on. I think what's really important is, is that it's, it's, has, you have to keep at it. Mm. And what I want to really emphasise is that you can put action plans together. We've all got them, lots mm. of them. We've all got action plans, but you have to keep at it. You have to constantly be looking and constantly involving and always not being hold, afraid to hold the mirror up to yourselves. And we do that at Bucks um, by constantly asking ourselves and looking at what our people are telling us. And we have networks that come and sit and share their experiences with us at board so that we are really starting to get into what does it really feel like? to be part of the organisation and it goes back to how do you shift the culture and culture can be shifted by what are the behaviours that you're willing to accept mm-hmm. and so we're not willing to accept the racism that some of our, our colleagues experience whether it's by their colleagues or whether it's by the public and so um, by even saying that out loud helps to support how people then start to focus in on their minds on that and I find because we do that I get much more reporting reporting we get much more reporting of incidents mm. now than we did before which enables us to address it because if, if it's not reported it's very difficult to address and also the fact that um, shining a light it means that everybody individually has to hold accountability and at a board level all of my colleagues and, and you know not exclusive to me have to hold accountability for that. No and that's encouraging to hear that actually people are willing to to put themselves forward and obviously the NHS have published their uh, equality, diversity and inclusion improvement plan that you've yes. alluded to with uh, I think uh, six high impact actions yes. uh, including board representation and the other uh, issue that they do cover of course is um, equity in terms of uh, recruitment and uh, having a representative process mm. to encourage people because you're talking about encouraging people to join that process has to be inclusive yes. and obviously to narrow the scandalous 
uh, fact that there's a gender pay gap, for example, yes. that still remains. Yes, absolutely. And along with disability, gaps in disability as absolutely. well. So it's really important that all those things are focused on. I think the other thing I'd also say mm. is, is that it's not just about numbers and it is about representation. I say it's not tokenism. This is not tokenistic. You know, we don't want people just to be recruiting because it's they need to know it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for the organisation. It's the right thing to do for the people. And therefore, it's important. So I know the fact that that people see me as a chief nurse and how that inspires them to think about their careers differently. So that representation is so, so key. And also to communicate that very effectively. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's important that it's not just about, you know, I'm I, I'm not the only voice on the board talking about equity. Mm. So because I come from a diverse background, because I've been impacted on it on a personal level in work and outside of work, mm. that actually for me, I'm able to share that story, have honest, open conversations, but also all of my colleagues are also part of that journey as well. So I'm not the only person in the in, in the room. And I think when it comes to the recruitment, what's really important is to individually think about the way that you recruit, but also thinking about what you're doing in that recruitment process, how you hear, how you listen, how people speak, how they present themselves, the expectations that we often have of people. So I think it's really important. So we've tried, we've got, we've done some work around having debiasing all of our processes yep. and making sure so sometimes even looking at an application and pulling people into an interview getting them in the room looking at different ways of recruiting people not everyone right you know puts everything down well on paper but also making sure that the process is fair and um, and that really started with my recruitment so when I came for my interview in 2019 Covid wasn't even on anybody's <laughs> radar I remember coming into the interview process and um, feeling that I was really treated fairly mm. That, you know, there were a diverse group of candidates. There were two men, two women. There were two from different backgrounds, including myself. And everybody was really friendly, welcoming, really kind. So you felt, because you're also forgetting sometimes that we're on interview too, so do I want to work for you? Mm. And therefore, when I left that day, and we had a number of different events, I went around and did stakeholder events, everybody was welcoming. I felt, I've been treated fairly. Whatever the outcome will be, I need to have felt that I felt that I was treated fairly. And that's how I felt. And we are doing our best to try and make sure that that's how people feel inside the process. Therefore, whatever decision is, you want to make sure that everybody is treated fairly. No, absolutely. And that, I think, is going to be crucial for retention. Turning to the point of growing the workforce uh, under the plan, um, there's um, some startling numbers, of course, to increase. There's already an existing commitment from the manifesto of the government from 2019 to increase nurse numbers. But the next 15 years, the vision is to double these training places and grow particularly nurse specialists with mental health, learning disabilities and nurse associates. I wondered, you've been involved in the training of nurses, you understand this subject so well. Um, The plan talks about levelling up the training opportunity. Um, What sort of pathways will we need? Because we have the pathways now, but do you see the, the need to innovate in terms of the way and in terms of flexibility that we offer people in order to train as a nurse? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there is definitely some room for some innovation and we could already see different pathways. You've got the associate, you've got your apprenticeships. You know, I started out my journey with very few qualifications from school and at the time there was the enrolled nurse training which was open to me and it was a two-year training. I sat on the register. It's not dissimilar now to the associate.
associate nurses mm. and then I um, qualified sat on the register worked for four years then eventually did a conversion course a year uh, four years later and got my state registered level one so you know, people like myself have benefited from different avenues into nursing you know that was tw- that was Thirty years ago, so it's not a new concept. But the reality is, it's important that we are a profession that is a degree profession. Mm-hmm. It's important that we have that academic um, piece of our work. So I think it's really important for us to, to do that. It's really important. But people can, should come in, be able to come in in different ways. You know, if you haven't done well at school, you can go in and do an apprenticeship. If it is that you um, come from a different place and change your mind about where you want to be, then coming in and doing some of that nurse associate support worker roles and then eventually going into different routes into nursing I think it's welcomed and I think it's important for us to recognize that um, we have to have different ways for people to get into the profession it's a great profession to be in I think people don't always realize um, as much as how many different roles there Mm. are divert you know diverse different roles across nursing and therefore opening people's minds I think some of the tv programs some of the inside sort of um, you know fly on the wall documentary pieces have really helped people to understand what it's really really like and therefore I think the more we can help people to understand about these roles the better we can hopefully inspire young people so we're doing this for things at Bucks in schools Mm -hmm. and I've done that when I was in London we used to do a uh, primary futures inspiring women uh, work here in London where you go into schools and start to really help people to see what it's like working for the health service and what they can aspire to do and I think the more we can get into schools as well as trying to do all the things that we're doing as well so we can start to inspire the next generation as they come in. So it's very much personalised, as you say. Um, the degree is there. It's meant to be there to honour the, the depth of knowledge yes. and expertise that nurses need to have as clinicians and more and more responsibilities falling on nurses in terms of not just acute settings, but community settings. I think people don't realise, maybe we can touch upon that, because when the perception that people have is nurses in acute hospital settings by the television and all the rest yes. of it. But actually, nurses play a huge role in social care and in community provision. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that you're right. So it's often, even like you think about the NHS, you think about hospitals, you think about nurses and doctors. You know, there are over 350 roles across the health service. And so therefore, there are so, so many opportunities. But you're right. Nurses play a huge part from the moment people are born. You've got your midwives, you've got your midwife assistants, all the way through into the community services. So district nurses, uh, primary care nurses working in GPs, health and social care, really, really important and fundamental in people's homes, keeping them at home, caring for them in their own location. And we are fortunate, Bucks, to be an integrated acute and community uh, trust. Therefore, we do deliver that care. And I think understanding the broad range and help people to understand what nursing is really about is really important. So changing that perception, it's not just hospital it is community it is primary care and it's it other parts of that patient's journey as well and i think the broader picture that uh, nurses can actually now as you say we've got the promise of the integrated care systems yes. now which are here uh, you, you're part of an integrated care system where there's a <clears throat> we're seeing joined up thinking just very briefly that's now opened up the possibility of multidisciplinary teams uh, nurses and clinicians and non-clinicians working across 
uh, a place and a neighborhood and, and uh, uh, a whole system. Have you begun to see some more diverse opportunities for professionals to experience these different pathways? Yeah, well, it's still fairly new. Yep. So I think we just got yep. to acknowledge that it's still fairly new. And, um, and, and our system, which is our, we call it Bob, which is Berkshire, Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire, is still very new and still maturing. So I think there's still opportunities for us to see the real opportunities that come within that. But yes, absolutely. The fact that you should be able to see your career across the system and patients don't just... Um, access things and boundaries so even Buckinghamshire butts up against Oxfordshire so we'd have to transfer some people to Oxfordshire and people from Berkshire we get people coming from Milton Keynes which is the other end of the county mm. so actually you you know working across the system will should help the patient yep. should help their journey but also we've got to see careers across systems so that actually you can start to shape your career very very differently so you might work you might start out your life in a hospital but you might end up then going into the system which will be very very different so i think there's real opportunity for both the patients and the people working across the health service and i think if we can just cut down some of the barriers and people moving around whether it's patients uh, should make it much much easier and also hopefully use our resources much much more effectively as well uh, which is a, a big imperative under the plan in terms of productivity um, and that paints a, a, a fabulous picture of, of promise um, under the plan um, one of the key threads for me uh, looking at the plan uh, and I think it's made express is that the, the importance of leadership but making all of this happen is going to require leadership at every level across the system and there was a report of course uh, uh, Sir Gordon Messenger and uh, Dame Linda Pollard um, expressing the idea of a, of a collaborative and inclusive leadership and they've called for standardized um, leadership training but and they see they talk about a window of opportunity now mm. you're a very inspiring leader you've given us this story about how you've started off as effectively like a nurse associate would be today you're a nine bevan graduate <laughs> a master's degree holder yeah. chief nurse it's fantastic you're a perfect person to tell us how important is leadership going to be what does that look like mm. and do you have any tips for people who are starting that journey as nurses oh, who try to maybe follow your footsteps that's a huge question <laughs> so uh, leadership is key mm. but i think we've got to redefine what leadership means in a way that there are leaders throughout organizations leadership isn't always just at the top you know um you know the healthcare support worker could pretty run awards some days or the community services as well so i think it's important for us to redefine leadership at all levels throughout organizations and allow people to demonstrate their leadership skills at any moment so you know it's really important not to think about leadership just as the board or the person that's got the title manager actually because you know there are many uh, great leadership examples if you walk out into the community services now of people leading their services and their teams and they may not even be that senior in regards to seniority because if we can break down that hierarchy and enable people I think is really important but I think what's really important is how you lead with real courage and compassion and I know that that feels like a word that we've banded around a lot uh, but you know there's a bit about you know compassion is about not just not just empathizing but doing something about that suffering mm. doing something doing taking responsibility to really lead with real heart and I think that um, that's very different to probably how we've seen leaders before so that you start to be a bit more open and compassionate but also 
that makes you a little bit vulnerable. Yep. Yeah. And vulnerability in itself is really important, actually, because we are leading lots and lots of people who sometimes they find it hard. And it is a hard, it is hard, it is tough. And actually, if you're just always sort of this tough leader that just feels that everybody should be a certain way, that isn't really going to be conducive for the well-being of our people. And the well-being of our people is really important. So leadership, kindness, compassion, inclusivity, the bits we talked about, how do you become an inclusive leader? And that means you do have to hold the mirror up. You are going to have to be uncomfortable at times you're going to have to lean into the things that you've got to do in order to continually evolve and never think that you're there I don't think I'm there as a leader I'm always evolving and it's really important for us to evolve as leaders as leaders and, and without that we will not progress or deliver the things and it's that we about need to bringing do. your authentic self and seeing vulnerability actually as an aspect of your quintessential humanity absolutely and and it's a strength it's not a weakness it's Mm. a strength and the courage for which we lead is really important and that does mean you're going to have to sometimes be vulnerable and admit that you've done something wrong or you've made a mistake that makes you very human and therefore you connect better with people it's it shifts the culture and ability for people to see you differently and allow themselves to be vulnerable too and therefore leadership is really key in all of this we're going to have you know i sit on the board we're going to have you know the chief the board members who are there steering the organisation but you also got to be remembering that you are there representing the rest of your workforce I represent over the three and a half thousand nurses and midwives and and support workers in my organisation and the allied health professionals in my organisation so when I sit at that board level I'm not just there for myself I'm there so therefore listening and really hearing and bringing those voices to life at board level and know that they're speaking through you is really important and therefore for um, listening and being able to be accessible, being kind, being open and being compassionate and being willing to evolve, I think is going to be really important. And I welcome all of the work from the King's Fund around compassion and kindness and leadership and the direction of travel for which we are taking that journey, actually, I think is really going to be important for the future of uh, the services that we're all delivering. Uh, On that inspirational note, Karen Bonner, thank you very much for your time and for your openness. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about how we are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mercer. Thank you very much. Goodbye and look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Voices of Care is published by New Cross Healthcare. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.